Chapter Forty Eight of the Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. The Report of Astronomer Starbottle. I congratulated our couriers upon their safe return from a successful expedition. The astronomer made the following report of his journey. Following our instructions to bear dispatches to Egyptosis and Napisthasia, and at the same time make such astronomical and meteorological observations as might be valuable to military operations in Atvatabar, we rose to a considerable height in the air after leaving the Polar King. We were still under the influence of the Earth's revolution, moving with Atvatabar 250 miles an hour from east to west. We found the atmosphere of equal density, no matter how high we ascended, showing it to be a continuation of the denser strata of the outer air pressing into the Earth by way of the open poles. It fills the hollow shell of the Earth as an elastic ball, pressing equally on every part of the interior surface. Notwithstanding its mobility, it partakes of the revolution of the Earth, hence the particularly serene climate of Bimbisarol, and the absence of trade winds in the region of greatest motion, which corresponds to the torrid zone of the outer sphere. The only winds are local disturbances, sometimes excessively violent, caused by the irregularities of the Earth's surface, and the consequent unequal distribution of heat and cold. Besides the general serenity of the air, there are other reasons why the interior planet is really the only true world where human flight is a complete success. We found that at a height of 50 miles, the gravity caused by centrifugal motion is exactly counterbalanced by the attraction of the central sun overhead. At a height of 60 miles, if the wings remain motionless, we perceptibly ascend with a slowly increasing motion towards the sun, while the centrifugal gravity slowly lessens, owing to the lesser circle of space traversed, the attraction of swang as gradually increases, and nothing but the strength of our wings prevented our falling into the fires of the sun. Our chief discovery was the fact that there exists a belt of air at a distance of between 50 and 60 miles above the earth, extremely cold, in which there is no weight, and all objects therein float, indifferent to the presence of the sun above or the earth beneath. We saw a distant globe hanging in this region of very small size, and through the glass we could see mountains, rivers and seas thereon, but no traces of cities or human life. During our stay in this imponderable region, Flathootley expressed his satisfaction by grotesque evolutions. He would fly, moving his legs as if he were skating on ice, and again plunging as though he were diving into the sea. Then he would fly upward, feet foremost, as though he were falling toward the sun. Sure, it's fine fun, he said, to stand upside down, flying and laughing at the same time. Take care, I said, and don't fall upward. How can I fall upward when the ground's beneath me? he inquired. The earth below you has no attraction at this height, I said, but the sun is exerting its influence upon us. If we go any higher up, we'll be drawn into the fires of the sun and roasted alive. Bitch Abbas, if that's so, I'll get down and walk, and you can fly around as much as you like, said Flathootley. If you descend, you'll be arrested and executed as a spy. Remember, we're in an enemy's country, said I. I tell you what I'll do then, said he. Now that I've got my seven-league boots on, I'll just go down and jump from one mountain top to another. Time would not permit us to stay longer in our altitude. Consequently, we stretched ourselves on the abyss of air and swept downward to Egyptosis. Our flight was exultant and swift. We soared over mighty ranges of mountains and swept into wide valleys with the ecstasy of birds. What a splendid fact to communicate to the outer world, that man, denied for untold ages the power of flight, may now inhabit a world of incomparable beauty, where it is easier to fly than to walk, and a thousand times more enjoyable. The powers of the body and the raptures of the soul are not in themselves limited. It is simply a question of environment. No sooner do we inhabit a new environment than both Body and soul expand themselves and fill the greater amplitude as easily as the more restricted one. Give the world, weary with NUI, a fresh joy, and see how eager its enjoyment thereof, 
how voraciously it feasts on the newly found delight. We descended to the level of the mountain peaks, and sure enough, Flat Hootley, taking his stand on a lofty crag, would flap his wings and sail to the next mountain like an albatross. When alighting on one of the peaks, he frightened an immense bird from its nest on a cliff. It was a seamorg, a bird of prey as large as six eagles, with wings measuring twenty feet from tip to tip. It ferociously flew at Flat Hootley as he tried to escape it, and caught him with its claws, fastening its strong beak on the back of his neck. It was a perilous position for my companion. I flew to his rescue. He was badly frightened and kept shouting, Kel de Beast! The bird being on Flat Hootley's back rendered him powerless to cope with it. Suddenly the bird let go of his grip of its neck and took hold of his head in its claws with the idea of carrying him off to its eyrie. Coming behind the monster unseen, I managed by a well-directed blow to transfix him with my magnetic sphere. The Seymour, with its wide distended wings and head falling limp on its breast, slowly revolving, descended to the earth, the first enemy to fall on land at the hands of the invader. Flat Hootley now avoided the mountains. He had a narrow escape, but accepting an ugly wound in his neck was otherwise unscathed. We continued our flight to Egyplosis, dimly visible in the vault before us. We continued to traverse the inner curve of the planet, at Vatbar surrounding us on all sides, except that part of the sphere above us which was concealed by the brilliancy of Swang. Owing to the uniform heat and density of the lower strata of air, every mountain top was covered with foliage. We saw many mansions of the Atvatbaris sculpted out of the solid rock and surrounded with noble forests of tropical vegetation. We flapped our wings thirty miles above Atvatbar, which lay with its mountains, forests, lakes, cities, temples and dwellings beneath us like a map. We had flown for six or eight hours when a feeling of hunger admonished us to partake of food. The tin trunk, which was our commissariat department, had been towed behind us by means of a rope during the entire journey. Flat Hootley, said I, let us call a halt for refreshments. With all my heart, said he, but how are we to hold the trunk up? Let us rise to a height of fifty miles again, I replied, and then it will stand on the air alone, like ourselves. You're a wise man, sir, said he. It's an inelegant idea that we'll adopt immediately. Accordingly, we were soon once more in the region of no weight, where we stood on the air as on land, Flat Hootley on one side of the trunk and I on the other, to dine on its contents. Flat Hootley, opening the lid, brought forth some cold venison, which he coolly laid on the air beside us, saying, Stand there now till you wanted. The venison quietly floated up against the side of the trunk, that being the only force of gravity acting upon it. In a like manner, he tossed around us a cold roast fowl, several varieties of cooked vegetables, and some rich puddings. He also produced several bottles of squang, the toke of Atvatbar. These he flung downward, but every bottle, after falling half a mile or so, slowly ascended, and the entire bottles came back to us in a close cluster, as though unwilling to leave us. It was a novel feast. We closed the lid of the trunk and spread a napkin thereon, and at once began our repast. Flat Hootley rapidly secured the floating dishes, and the food was demolished as easily as though we stood on terra firma. I pulled a pudding off my back, and Flat Hootley took from his neck the knives and forks that had clustered there. The wine proved excellent. I mounted the trunk and proposed the health of Her Majesty Leone, Queen of Atvatbar, and the Imperian rang with the enthusiasm invoked by the toast. Flat Hootley proposed the health of our noble master, His Excellency Lexington White, the conqueror of the fleet. The air once more echoed its response to our hurrahs. We might have rested and even slept on the impalpable air, but duty forbade us any such luxury. We repacked our trunk and proceeded straight to Egyplosis, then but two hundred miles away. We arrived safe, and handing the high priest Hushnoli your dispatch, hastened on to the palace of art at Naphistasia. 
we again succeeded in eluding the vigilance of the king's waleels thanks to our speed and disguise and delivering your dispatch to the grand priest of art yamul in nephistasia returned forthwith to kioran end of chapter forty eight